Hello and welcome back to Talknosis, uh, the Internet's premier first original podcast about Gnosticism, <laughs> the occult, slash whatever we feel like talking about. Um, we have with us, as per usual, my co-host, Bishop Laney Peterson. Hello, Bishop. Hello. How are you doing, Deacon? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, I, I kind of hate admitting that. Um, we, we never know when people are watching or listening, but you know, the world's still mid-apocalypse. Uh, but for yeah. me personally, so far things are, are going... Surfing it okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for that next seal to open. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I guess it's going to be raining blood soon. Um, but besides that, I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. We've got a great guest this week. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Uh, we have uh, Catherine Diedrich from Oh Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up. It's Quadrivium. Did I get it right? Very good. Quadrivium Supplies and MagicalBasics.net. This is a particularly exciting interview because we're in the midst of a new occult revival in a way. Uh, There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people who are interested in ritualism, in the occult, in magic, uh, in Wicca, in witchcraft. Um, I, I work online. I'm a copywriter by day. I spend too much time on Twitter. I spend too much time on social media. I spend too much time on news sites. And there's always uh, all these uh, headlines about uh, all the kids. They're all into witchcraft. So uh, finding out about uh, the, some of the, the basics of ritualism, I think, is, is going to be great for uh for, for all these uh, people who are new to it, but I think also some people who have a lot of experience or think they have a lot of experience are mm-hmm. going to find out some new and interesting stuff tonight. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, Catherine, we, we'll, we'll jump right into it. Uh, like, what is a ritual for you? Like, what does that word mean for you? Well, I'm going to get theoretical. Sorry. <laughs> Good. Um, so we have a lot of different ways of using the word ritual. Um, so there's four main ways that we use the word ritual. We use it in the mundane way. Like my ritual is getting up in the morning and grinding coffee beans and making coffee and then opening my eyes. Um, and then there's religious ritual, which is, you know, observant rites of passage, uh, you know, symbolic. And then there's anthropological, which is, uh, there's usually they kind of mix with religion where you have, you know, the rites of passage and rituals of like mythological reenactment. And then you get into the sociological practices of ritual, which, you know, is its whole other animal. So I'm, you know, I tend to go along more with the mundane and the religious. Um, But I just want you to understand, I want listeners to understand that there's, a whole lot more to the word ritual than just, you know, I'm lighting a candle and praying. You know, there's OCD rituals that people go through. There's, you know, negative rituals, positive rituals. There's all different kinds of rituals. Um, And uh, so I basically stick to either mundane, which is, you know, a set of actions or, or words that are done by rote where you're not really thinking about it. And then magical um, would be a set of actions or words or actions and words that creates a liminal space between the human and the divine or the natural and the supernatural, just, you know, liminal spaces in between. So that's my definition of it. My long winded definition of it. Oh, that's perfect. Annoying people that whenever 
you know, you can see somebody doing a ritual. I'm in the back going, but, but why, why are you doing that? <laughs> Who told you to do that? When did you learn how to do that? So. Yeah. We don't, we don't like short winded guests on this show. Uh, um, no, and, no, they make us work too hard. Yeah. yeah that's exactly <laughs> the way hard. Be awful. No, that's great. And, and we really do want to go into it. And, uh, and, and I bet uh, a lot of people's, uh, um, it sounded like you're denigrating yourself when you're talking about being in the background, but I bet you a lot of people would actually appreciate you behind them being like, why are you doing that? <laughs> well, because we do things and we don't necessarily think about why we're doing it. And, you know, I, part of my background is in chaos magic, which, um, you know, has an interest in stripping away stuff that may not necessarily be effective and getting to the basics of things. And so, um, you know, by the time I got around to chaos magic, I'd already been practicing magic for about 15 years. So I knew what I could get rid of and I knew what I could keep. Um, and that's, I think, something everybody has to learn for themselves. Yeah. But we also it, have to think about why we do the things we do. Exactly. And, and uh, that process of, of stripping, adding, is that, is that something that you just learn through doing? I think so. I mean, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I don't know how people learn now, which mm -hmm. makes me sound terribly old. <laughs> but, and I think at least Lainey, you know, who is of an age with me, Lainey, yeah. who I've known for 25 years, um, when we started practicing magic, <laughs> I, think you'll, I think you'll be with me here, but way back in the Paleolithic era, um, yeah. we learned from either books or we learn from other people. Yeah, I think you're you're with me on that. And now yeah. I am running into people who are learning magic almost entirely online. Yeah, um, they are having very little interaction with other people when they are learning how to practice magic. And so I think, as you were saying, John, about working online and spending all your time on social media, and that's how you interact with people. I think that's a a way of learning that I am not necessarily familiar with, but um, maybe Lainey isn't, but I know that the generation beneath me, like my kids are perfectly comfortable with, you know, learning everything online. They don't need that personal interaction to really feel like they're learning something. Right. Well, it sounds like what's what's needed is a is a good resource online. You know, something that was that could, could possibly have the basics of magic. But let's 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 sit on that thought for a moment and get get back into some of the technical aspects of of ritual. And perhaps when people are reading and they're coming across some some terms that they don't understand. So, for instance, what are correspondences, and what is a quote unquote? table of correspondences. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> it's one of my, seriously, you know, when you have like a favorite esoteric topic and you get to talk about it, it's super exciting. And one of my favorite esoteric topics is tables of correspondence. Um, tables of correspondence are in essence corresponding between the human and the divine or between one realm and another. So we uh, we say, for example, the color green means money, and that's a correspondence. Or we can say um, the herb bayberry is good for money drawing, and that's a correspondence. And, you know, I don't know how deeply into this you want to go, 
But, uh, you know, tables of correspondence really started out as astrological and mm -hmm. um, out of the doctrine of signatures, which I'm not sure how familiar people are with the doctrine of signatures. The doctrine of signatures was the belief that God had given the earth a way to treat every illness and part of the body by making plants that looked like that part of the body. Mm. This resulted in a lot of dead people <laughs> because it's not a very effective way of practicing medicine. But that idea has continued, and that's why we have plants like eyewort, because I guess the stalks look like eyeballs. I, I've never really seen the connection, but you know, that's why it was called that. And so we end up um, we end up with the uh, sources, you know, that go back to the Book of Enoch and, you know, oral traditions and 15th century grimoires. And those are the correspondences that we know. So I don't know if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes a great deal of sense. And it's something, uh, Catherine, you and I have talked about in the past a few times, or many times actually, is when it comes to buying or, like, per or purchasing uh, things like, oh, say, essential oils, uh, for work in this kind of in this kind of magic, this correspondence. Um, one of the important things to understand is that the tables of correspondence might point to using rose for something. They don't say something that smells like a rose. They say rose. It is. It's the natural substance of rose, and that's one of the things that people do have to watch out for now. Because when I was when I was starting to practice you didn't have as much synthetic stuff as you do now. I think now you have much more of an introduction as things have become more commercialized. You have people who are cutting more corners and putting diethyl phthalate into things, which is a petroleum byproduct that go into a lot of essential oils to um, keep the oil liquid and, uh, you know, dilute it, make more of it. Um, it's also flammable and carcinogenic. So I avoid that. Um, but that's, that is an important thing, Lainey, is that we need to remember that, you know, when we're working magic, we're working with the natural world. Um, there is a correspondence between the natural and the supernatural. And if you're working with something that's, you know, made of chemicals, you may not get the kind of result that you want. Even yeah. if it is cheaper. Yeah. And <laughs> especially the rose. Man, rose is expensive. Oh, it is. And, you know, rose does not like, a, you know, actual rose oil does not necessarily smell the way we think it ought to. And there's a number of essential oils out there that do not necessarily smell yeah. all that great. Yeah. Um, and you think you know, of is, oh, it has this, like primrose. People think that primrose has this lovely, you know, primrose will like, is the kind of scent that like will sneak up behind you and whack you over the head. I mean, it is just... <laughs> <laughs> So, so Catherine, um, well, people can use Sorry. that. I, I guess if someone is doing a ritual or a spell to uh, have someone whacked over the head, they should use primrose. Um, but uh, what, does, what does your ritual life look like? And, and what rituals uh, do you do? Personally? Yeah. Um, you know, I am somebody who tends to find almost uh, religious meaning in mundane ritual. Uh, my kids, for example, are both type one diabetic. Mm. 
So in the morning, there's almost a ritual of checking blood sugar, counting carbs, giving insulin. And that's almost meditative because it's mm -hmm. something that is, you know, continuing to keep them alive and is a ritual that we go through. Um, in terms of other kinds of rituals, uh, you know, I'm not big on big public rituals. I'm pretty fond of uh, rituals sort of as meditation. Mm -hmm. So I'll do that. Um, I have a very, partially because of my line of work where I make ritual oils, uh, I do a lot of candle magic. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that does not involve a whole lot of what I would think of as ritual. But of course, you know, what I think of as being a ritual and what somebody else thinks of as being a ritual may be different. Uh, you know, to me, rituals involve multiple people, probably robes, some music, incense, you know. And um, in your, your history of, uh, of ritual work, have, has performing rituals changed your life? I guess in the example of your kids, uh, when we're looking at more mundane ones, the answer would definitely be yes. <laughs> but uh, perhaps the ones we may think of as more esoteric. Have you noticed results? Have you noticed inner changes, outer changes, some sort of uh, impact? Sure. Um, you know, I have done candle work for healing. I have done, uh, you know, rituals for various other things for various other people. Uh, as I said, though, a lot of my rituals tend to be more meditative uh, than goal-based, I suppose you would say. Uh, you know, I have, you know, I've done multiple consecutive workings in terms of, like, candle magic. Uh, and that's probably what my ritual life looks like the most. <laughs> Is, is through candle magic. But, you know, I have different candles that I set for specific purposes. Lainey's familiar, of course, with candle magic. And uh, that's that's really where uh, my ritual life tends to be right now. Yeah. What do you mean when you say meditative? Well, um, you know, a good example that I like to give is saying the rosary. Um, okay. You know, I think one of the purposes of ritual is to get us into a mind space, a head space, where we're able to connect with the divine, the supernatural, ourselves, um, you know, where we're in a more receptive state of mind. I was taught to say the rosary very young, and I was taught to say it in Latin. And so I don't really have the capability of thinking about what I'm saying, because I don't really, you know, the words just kind of, the pattern of, you know, it just kind of comes out. And when I'm saying the rosary, it almost puts me sort of into a trance and that is helpful for mm -hmm. some stuff, you know, and that's, that is something that, um, that I do. So, yeah. so we, uh, the, um, uh, We'll put in the plug, but we'll come back to it. You, know, you also started MagicalBasics.net, right? Which is sort of a resource for um, people to, I, I, I mean, I guess I don't have to explain what the site is about. It's, it's, it, is, <laughs> well, it is there in the some, title. You've got some good reasons why you started it. Well, I, do. I, I started it because um, I was having a discussion with somebody and it was, um, it was somebody I know who's also a very experienced hermeticist. And we were going back and forth about, um, you know, this book isn't hermetic, fight me. And this was on Twitter, in fact. And somebody sent me a direct message and said, I'm embarrassed to ask, what book is that? Like, I've never even heard of this book. 
and I'm, I'm thinking, oh man, how can you not have heard of that book? And I was like, wait a minute, there's there's no reason they would have. And um, I started that started me on this path of thinking about how I learned about magic, and how I learned about ritual. And I realized that a lot of these things that I think of as being instinctive, you get a candle, you trim the wick down, you make sure that um, you know your candle is not too big because you have to melt the entire surface of it the first time you burn it. Otherwise you'll have an edge of wax. You know, these are not things that people just know. No, you have to learn them. And when I'm going through and I'm looking, you know, as we discussed about people learning online, there's a certain level of familiarity with things like candles that's sort of taken for granted, you know, light your green candle for money. Well, you know, there's a whole area of thing, you know, you need to know what kind of candle you want. You need to know what kind of wick you want. You need to know how big you want your candle to be. You know, there's a million different choices to make that we think of as just automatic, but they're not. People have to learn them. And the funny thing, I, you know, I've done some candle magic classes at, at conventions and whatnot. And I always begin actually with a whole thing about candle safety. Yeah. And the fact that we have a whole lot of candle fires in this country that are deadly tends to come as a great shock to people. Uh, sadly, but it doesn't. But it's magic. Like this shouldn't be. Just, yeah. yeah. Pay attention. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, never leave a candle unattended. Um, you know, there's all of these instructions in, um, you know, books about witchcraft, books about ritual magic, about, you know, burning a candle until it gutters. Well, you know, if you're using a standard taper candle, you better be ready to sit there twiddling your thumbs for eight or 10 hours, because that's how long it takes it to burn down. Yeah. Um, and I think that that can, knowing more about these, this basic information can help people get better results out of the rituals. It's less frustrating. Um, you're just going to have an easier time learning ritual magic if you've got some basic uh, information. Staying with this, this theme of, of basics. So if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to get into ritualism, I, I've read your, your website, like what are some good solid starting places? Like is there some rituals that you would recommend uh, or would it really be up to what the person is searching for? Or, you know, what, what, what kind of advice or what would you recommend for, hey, I want to I wanna do a ritual tomorrow and I'm an utter beginner. What, what should I do? I would say first decide what you're interested in. Um, you know, are you interested in learning ritual magic? Are you interested in using ritual as a tool to know yourself better? Are you uh, trying to attempt something? Start off small, you know, that would be a big one. And, um, you know, I would tell the person to recognize that they already do rituals in their mundane life yeah. and to think about those rituals and, you know, that there may be a way for them to learn from these unthinking rituals that they do every day that would transfer over into a magical space, I suppose. You know, that yeah. that would, if you're, like, for example, if you're interested in, like, ceremonial magic, I always tell people, you know, lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram is a pretty good place to start. You know, it's pretty easy. It doesn't require much. And, you know, it gives, it gives you this feeling that you're doing something. I think that the people, when they're first learning magic, will tend to get frustrated because it feels like I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at a candle. This sucks. 
LBRP, you feel like you're doing something. You're achieving yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good one. If you want, I can also say that um, people should read widely yes. before they start making decisions about what kind of magic they want to practice or if they want to practice magic. Because a lot of people are very attached to, well, I want to approach this with an open mind. And as the late Terry Pratchett said, the trouble with an open mind is that people will insist on coming along and trying to put things in it. Yes. And you don't want to fill it. There's all kinds of stuff out there and you don't necessarily want to fill your open mind with information that isn't correct. So you want to read widely and you want to be picky about your sources. Um, you should also be aware that some of the traditional starting points are not actually that great in terms of starting points. Um, for some reason, people consistently pick up magic and theory and practice and think that this will teach them how to practice magic. I, you know, and the same thing with um, AE weight, they'll pick up weight and be like this. And no, it's a really good way to go to sleep um, and to make you convinced that magic is very, very boring. Uh, I tend to go towards um, uh, John Michael Greer, his learning ritual magic. And then he's got circles of power, which is specifically for hermetics. Um, yeah. And then Don Tyson's ritual magic and uh, Bill Whitcomb's magician's companion. And you know what? I hate to do this. I'm going to click over here for a second so I can look at something. Don Michael Craig's um, Modern Magic was also yes, been, that you know, and that's well. just Absolutely. incredibly well written. It, you know, it's Golden it Dawn based magic, um, but it's incredibly well written and he really just lays it out there. John Michael Greer's is great too, you know. Yeah. And what I wanted to say also was I mentioned before Bill Whitcomb's But uh, there's a canyon. And that actually, if you're looking for tables of correspondence, that's, that's a good probably one. a really good source to start with. That is probably the number one source, I would say, uh, when you're starting out is that. And um, that's probably because if you're really going to start out with, maybe a grip is through books of occult philosophy is not where you want to begin. Again, get really bored. Um, if people perhaps they have a spiritual background and they've been doing practices that are more contemplative you know contemplative prayer uh, meditation uh, perhaps a visualization very simple path working and uh, maybe they don't think that that ritual can affect the world in a supernatural sense but should they still try ritual if they're already doing contemplative work, they're already doing ritual. Yeah. They're, they're already doing it. They don't have to try. <laughs> they're already doing it. And, you know, I think that that's sometimes something that gets lost with magical practice is that we tend to hang our hat on this idea of ritual as active. A ritual needs to have a goal. A ritual needs to be for a specific purpose. And I don't think it does. Ritual for ritual's sake is great. Um, you know, contemplative work, meditative work. These are all important just to people as human beings to become, you know, happier, more centered, more self-aware. Contemplative ritual and meditative ritual are incredibly powerful. Uh, yeah. So for anybody who says, well, I don't think it's going to affect anything. Well, you know, great. 
<laughs> you know, well, it's going to affect you. There's going to, the practitioner to you, who smells know? themselves and studies themselves and takes a break, removes them out of the uh, hustle and bustle of everyday life, or in some cases, the indolence of everyday life, uh, and does that, that will have an impact on that individual's psyche um, and behavior yep. over time. Well, yeah. Um, circling back when we we're talking about correspondences. So uh, uh, when I read different books and look at different systems, some of that, that wide ranging reading that you are recommending, that I, I've seen different tables of correspondences and, and different correspondences. And you know, this plant uh, being linked to, to, to this part of the body. And then I look at a different table and it's linked to this part of the body, so on and so forth. Does, does that mean that, that, that it's not real or that there's one system and the rest are wrong? No, I mean, because remember, we're, we're getting this from, you know, we're getting these tables of correspondences from, you know, a, a, a thousand CE and earlier. I mean, we're, we're getting these correspondences from, you know, the Book of Enoch. We're getting correspondences from handwritten uh, books of astrology. And the thing about tables of correspondence to me is that they are intensely personal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great to start with a traditional table of correspondence. Um, you know, depending on what tradition you're from, uh, you'll, there will probably be a table of correspondence. People should not just Google it and pick one. Uh, have a reason that you are using that particular table of correspondence, not this guy told me to. And, um, but then a person has to take it and as they're getting more experience with ritual and as they're getting more experience with magic, they need to learn what works for them. Um, this is, Lanny had mentioned roses, and this was, uh, this is something that I've, I've used as an example any number of times. If you have had a bad experience with roses, maybe you dated somebody who yelled at you a lot and then always sent you roses afterwards, and you don't have a happy association with roses, roses are not going to symbolize love for you. Roses are going to symbolize conflict. And so when you're performing ritual, no matter how many books tell you roses are um, symbols of love, that's not going to work because it doesn't work for you. And so that's part of learning magic is figuring out your own table of correspondence and what works for you personally. So would you recommend perhaps people use a table correspondence from a book as a starting place and then sort of look at their, their internal symbols, their memories, their past? Like how would they, how would they build this personal system? just through, through trial and error. I mean, that is just like anything else. Uh, as you are learning something, you're gonna screw up, you're gonna make mistakes. Uh, you know, you're going to do one thing and realize that it just doesn't work for you. And that's fine, that's how we learn. And so that's, it's all trial and error. Yeah, and um, with with this sort of um, kind of constructing this, this this table of correspondences, doing this this trial and error, should it all be within one tradition, one system, you know, one vein of magic, one order? Should I just do Golden Dawn, nothing else? Or cool. should people sort of uh, mix things together? Again, you know, I, I feel like I keep saying this. It depends. <laughs> um, for example, I will say that um, since I've practiced magic for quite a while, 
it's meant to be kind of a magpie. And I'm like, oh, that looks shiny. I think I'll take that from OTO. Oh, that, that looks kind of cool. I'll pick that out of Golden Dawn. Hmm, Catholicism has some really cool stuff. Um, you know, I tend to be a magpie, but when people are first starting out and they're first learning something, I tend to believe that staying within one tradition, at least to start with, uh, mastering, not even mastering, probably the wrong word, um, getting a good grounding in one tradition is uh, is an important thing because you can end up sort of just wandering all over the place and there's no progression. You don't learn anything because you keep hopping from thing to thing to thing. Um, you know, I think that it's, uh, I think that it's important to be discerning, to decide, you know, what you want to learn and, and be discerning about it because there are lots and lots of books on how to, how to learn magic and lots and lots of them are terrible. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's important to figure out what you want to learn and why you want to learn it and then pursue that line of inquiry. Um, you know, I think as people develop their practice, they can always branch out and learn new things. I know that um, a lot of us who started out in the 80s and the early 90s uh, came out of uh, pagan publishing. Mm -hmm. You know, that there was Llewellyn books took off like a yeah. rock. The Cunningham books, uh, what's her name? Silver Ravenswolf. Um, yeah. You know, all kinds, there's all kinds of these beginner books. And that was a really big thing. So there's, I think, a lot of people in my age group who came out of, you know, they may not have stayed in it, but they first learned uh, magic through a pagan system. And it, for one reason or another, it didn't work out and they went and found something else. I don't think that there is anything wrong with changing traditions and saying, okay, this, you know, this isn't really, it's not really doing it for me. I think I, I think I want to go do something else. Um, but one thing that people do need to be aware of is that there are forms of magic that are from a particular culture or country mm -hmm. and those are taught in person yeah and for example um you aren't going to learn an african traditional religion from a book uh no matter what the book says you aren't going to learn voodoo from a book no matter no. what the book says initiatory traditions must be taught by the initiator, by the group that is initiating you. You cannot initiate yourself into an initiatory tradition. You must be taught by that group or a teacher from that group. And that is something that I do see a lot of is people mm -hmm. under the impression that because they have read extensively that they are now part of a tradition or that they are now somehow ordained or, um, qualified to speak on the topic and they're really not. So uh, that is an important thing to remember is that um, while I don't see anything wrong with being a magpie and picking up shiny things, we do need to remember that some of these magical traditions are very specific to cultures and languages and you can't just you know, pick apart something and say, oh, I'm just going to use this. It's fine. Well, it's part of a much bigger picture. 
And with a lot of these uh, complex religions, you can't just pull one or two things out of it and expect to get anything out of it. It's part of a tradition. It's not just one ritual. Yeah. And in many cases, the, the, these, uh, these traditions, they, if they're initiatory, they have their own system of gatekeeping. Yes. And when you just think that, okay, I'm just going to hop onto your current and, and hop right off. Well, we know what happens when you hop onto a live current. You get, you get, you know, you're, 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 you get electrocuted and, and yeah, um, not much good ever happens of it with it. Now, there, I mean, there are some magical practices. Yeah, I mean, anybody can go in and, and, and practice and, under, you know, whatnot. But again, you're absolutely correct. Some of these traditions, look, they are initiatory for a reason. Yeah. And um that was a that was a thing in the 90s the whole uh -huh. self-initiation thing like well you know you can read this and that and then you will be initiated it doesn't work that way <laughs> you no. can't initiate into an initiatory religion unless you have an initiator so that has made that has i've had any number of unpleasant discussions with people based on my belief that you cannot self-initiate into most traditions yeah absolutely yeah, I, uh, I I know of somebody who wanted to initiate into a particular tradition and order, uh, could not find it anywhere where he lived. So he joined the Marines, and he knew he would he would That's... be he would be sent to a base where they had this tradition, and mm -hmm. it was operating. And so he could get initiated. Join the Marines. That's dedication. Yeah. That's that's, that's dedication. Cool. That's next level dedication. Wow. And, and that yeah. shows what you have to do. But I mean, there there are any, as I said, there are any number of traditions or schools uh, out there. And yeah, you know, they say, this is how we do it. This is our practice. This is how it works. If you want to be a part of this, you have to do it the way we say you do. And you say, well, I, I it's, you're nowhere near me. Okay. Then I guess if you want a part of this, you're going to have to make some changes now, won't you? Yeah. I mean, there's, and, you know, we both know people who have gone to other countries and, you know, become and studied there because they yeah. are that committed to that particular tradition. Um, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those weird things where people mistake, you know, it's mistaking the map for the territory. I've read X number of books and therefore I am qualified to, well, no, you know, you're no. not, that's not how it works. You know, I remember back in back in the day when we were first on, you know, online back in the mid nineties. Yep. Uh, and there was alt dot magic, and then there were the FTP sites, and oh, yeah. people were uploading various initiatory rituals. I still and, have some of them. Actually. Yeah, I mean, and, and you can still find them. But the th funny thing is, is people were reading and saying, "Well, I'm going to get the mysteries. I'm going to get the mysteries," and they read this stuff, which just sounds incredibly dull and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And of course, they haven't actually practiced any of it in a so in they, the context. Yeah. And so they're that. thinking, "I'm getting all these secrets." Well, yeah, you're going to get the mysteries if you're actually working the system in the way it's intended. Suddenly, yeah. the mysteries will reveal will, will become revealed, but you're not going to get them, at, you know, by t reading a file. <laughs> yeah, and that that is a shame. I think that yeah. I think there's a lot of people who think that there's somehow a shortcut. That, you know, there are no shortcuts. Where I do this, then I'll be qualified. And also, we tend to, I think, at least in America, we tend to have a little bit of an obsession with qualifications, you know, getting like something ahead of your name or after your name. Yeah. You know, like, like Bishop or Deacon. Like, yeah, like Bishop or Deacon, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess technically I'm a reverend, but I've never really used it. Um, 
you know, that we want to be part of things. We want to join things. We want the stamp of approval. And uh, that is sometimes not something you're ever going to get. Precisely. Yeah. So we are uh, the the we are almost at our time limit, but uh, we'll we'll wrap it up with a, with a final question. Uh, and I'm I'm going to take out my my fingers here. Some people listen, some people watch. But here here comes the air quotes. What makes for a quote unquote good ritual and a good experience and a good outcome? And what would you say could make for a quote unquote bad ritual? I like your air quotes. Those are excellent air quotes. Um, as with so many things, entirely subjective, but. You have to question, what are you looking to get out of the ritual? You have to address that. How are you going to know if you have gotten what you are trying to get out of the ritual? Um, you know, a ritual that brings up unpleasant emotions might be a good ritual if that's what, if you were going for a ritual to process something. And a ritual that might make you feel good might be a bad one if you're trying to avoid something. So you have to know ahead of the time what you're going for. What result do you want? And then, this is just my one of my personal um, warnings is make sure that you have thought about how you are going to achieve that rather than just saying, I want to achieve this thing. Think about the steps. Um, I think I told Lainey this story is that um, there was somebody who did a road opening ritual. Uh, he did a road opening because he wanted to open the road. Yeah, <laughs> Lainey knows this story. He wanted to open the road between himself and going back to school. And then his, uh, he lost his job. He broke up with his boyfriend. He got kicked out of his apartment. He had to move back in with his parents. And his parents said, yes, you can move back in on the condition that you go back to school. There you go. He got what he wanted, but his life was completely uprooted in the process. So you have to know what you want and you have to know how, to, how you're going to get it. And that, I think, is going to make for a good ritual experience. Okay, perfect. Uh, I think that's a great place to end. So I highly encourage uh, all listeners and watchers, and we will put this in the show notes, um, hopefully, if I remember. But it's very easy to remember. It's magicalbasics.net. <laughs> um, okay, when you said, when you said, said starter, it's got some, you know, it's got some essays on it, not a ton of stuff yet. Uh, Deacon, when you mentioned uh, listeners and watchers, now we were talking about the Book of Enoch in this show, and then the watchers start coming back to the watchers in the Book of Enoch. Oh dear. Yeah, uh, yeah I hope I hope I hope they're not watching, but um, <laughs> well, we don't know. Uh, and. Uh, um, I'll finish with our, uh, the, really I should be doing this at the top, but that's because we love you so much. We're not even going to give you the hard sell for the Patreon at the beginning of the show, but it's uh, patreon.com slash Gnostic. Um, it allows us to honestly just break even. So uh, we're all poor writers and artists uh, who work on talk gnosis, um, and uh, your generous donations uh, allow us to, to break even. Uh, we uh, recently started with uh, 99 Perspectives, uh, great studio in Chicago that's uh, running our tech for us. Uh, don't worry, Father Tony is still around. He's um, locked in a dungeon in Massachusetts making vlogs all day long. So we are we are hoping to see uh, more vlogs. But to help us break even and to help us thrive and grow, if you are able to, uh, please sign up at our Patreon. Uh, you can donate for as little as $1 per piece of media that we release. Again, that allows us to at least break even. If we can reach some more goals, we do want to introduce some more programming. We want 
want to have some cool, niche, nifty new shows. So take a look at that. And I do understand that it is trying times. I've already mentioned it's mid-apocalypse. I understand if you don't have an extra buck. Uh, but if you do like the show, you like what we're doing, you want to spread the light of Gnosis all around the world, you want to get Catherine's knowledge out about uh, the basics of ritual, please sh you know, share the show. And if you don't want to share... able to talk about tables of correspondence as much as she wants. Exactly. And, and, and you don't have to like, even post it publicly on social media, even though that would be great. You can send it uh, via email to somebody that you know who might like it. That would be much appreciated. Um, and finally, you can find us on social media, basically at Talknosis, whatever the platform is. Uh, we do... Uh, <laughs> we, we are trying to get our, our social media uh, uh, up and running. Uh, we've had some some stops and some starts with that, uh, but there is some really, uh, some really great fun stuff uh, happening uh, via social media. Um, we have the, the genius behind Gnostic Problems, everybody's favorite uh, Gnostic uh, meme site, making some great content for us. So definitely check us out, interact with us, ask us your questions, retweet us, uh, the re-Instagram us. I'm not on Instagram, so I don't know what you do. But uh, and yeah, and also add us, ask us questions, give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So I, I think that is it for this evening. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, thanks again, Catherine and Bishop Laney. Good night. Take care, everybody. Thank you, John. Thank you, Laney. Good night.